Welcome to the Feminine Empowerment Project podcast. Before we begin, if you enjoy today's podcast, please consider clicking the donation button and making a donation to help fund our work. In today's episode, we're going to turn Christian patriarchy on its head just a little bit, and I hope this will help women in the church feel more empowered. There are egalitarian churches out there who fully embrace women preachers, ministers, deacons, etc. And I pray that as the truth begins to unfold, that eventually this will become the norm. Christians have stopped using the Bible to justify slavery, but they still weaponize the Bible against women. And it is high time that this stops as well. This topic is important because as we see in Romans, where we know Paul was the actual author of this book or of this letter, we read about Unia and Phoebe, who were both female deacons in the church. This causes a lot of grief for Christian male chauvinists, but it's reality. So we're going to take a look at Romans 16 today, and we're going to start in verse 1, which is where we first see Phoebe. And Paul says, I recommend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon or servant of the church, which is at Sencrea. Some translations use the word servant here, while others use the word deacon. The important thing to know is that the original Greek word used by Paul is the word diakonos, which is the exact same word always used for male deacons. It actually means deacon. So the male translators of the Bible intentionally demoted women by using the word servant instead of the correct title deacon. So as we move on, Paul says, receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. Some biblical scholars have said that Phoebe may have been a co-author of this letter, and that is something to be just to be aware of. It is also important to know that male interpreters and translators use the word servant for women and deacon for men. The same word was used by Paul for both men and women, and he did not make a distinction between the two. But translators of the Bible did. They tried to downplay the role that women had in the early church. Phoebe was, in fact, a deacon, and I will show you why that is the truth. Well, there is some discrepancy in how the major translations handle women's titles throughout the Bible. It's important to understand the original words. So in the NIV and the NRSV versions of the Bible, they call Phoebe a deacon. In the NASB, the ESV, and the King James Version, they use the word servant. But like I said, the original Greek word that was used is diakonos, which does have a range of meanings. It can mean servant, messenger, or deacon. The issue that I have is that it, you really need to understand this exact same word is used for both men and women in the Bible. And the major issue that we have is that when the word is used for a man, it's always translated as deacon. But when that exact same word is used for a woman, they use the word servant. Paul did not make this distinction. He did not say that a woman was lesser or use any other word or 
word around that to try to demote a woman. The fact that Paul says that she is a diakonos of the church at Sancre, he is being very clear that she is, in fact, a deacon of the church there. Phoebe was the letter carrier of Paul's letter to Rome. And Paul is admonishing the people to accept her, to listen to her, and to serve in whatever capacity she asks them to serve in. This strongly indicates that Phoebe was far more than a servant. She was, in fact, acting in a leadership role where the people were being asked to listen to her. Some scholars have said that not only did Phoebe deliver the letter in Rome, but that she actually read and lectured the congregation in Rome. Um, Paul was very clear in his words that she was to be listened to and the congregation was to follow her counsel. So we're going to look at Phoebe through the eyes of Paul. Many Christians believe that Paul had a very chauvinistic view and taught that women were to be subservient and should not be allowed to have any leadership roles, and they certainly should not be allowed to teach men. And this is kind of what modern Christianity has created out of the Bible. They have taken things wildly out of context, wildly out of their first century context to create this very chauvinistic male-dominated idea. Male-dominated Christianity has perpetuated this idea by failing to recognize or teach the actual context of Paul's teaching. So I'm going to give you an example. We're going to go through a little bit to kind of give you a little background of why this idea of women being subservient and silent in the church and all this stuff that Christians cling to as biblical. I'm going to show you why this is not actually the case. And then we're going to go back into looking at Phoebe again. Because a lot of Christianity tries to make excuses for why a woman would have a leadership role. They talk about Hulda and Deborah and Miriam and Phoebe and Union. And there's all these women and they're like, oh, well, that was just an exception. Well, that's not God's, you know, ideal or, you know, he just made an exception and all this. And that's not true. So. Let's look at one of the misogynist's favorite scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35. And I'm going to read them to you. Don't cringe. I am going to, but no, actually you can cringe because I'm going to too. Then we're going to talk about it and then you won't cringe anymore. <laughs> so, the women are to keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Woof! All right, so pick yourself up off the floor and let's get into this. So, in these verses, you could deduce that Paul believes women are literally second-class citizens and subject to the authority of men. Is that really what's going on here? No. Absolutely, unequivocally, not. And if you don't understand the context of what he was telling the people in Corinth, you might think that. But we, when these scriptures are taken wildly out of their first century context, and in the context of what was actually happening in Corinth, where this letter was sent at the time, you could weaponize this scripture against women, which should not be being done, okay? So... 
we're going to break this down and we're going to talk about historically what was going on and why Paul was saying this to these people in this place and why it is not to be used and weaponized against women in all times and in all places. So number one, women are to keep silent in the churches. What Christians refuse to understand is the reason Paul was saying this to these specific women. Okay? There were many women in Corinth who had converted to Christianity from pagan religions. In these pagan religions, the men would perform rituals and the women would chant, wail, and make high-pitched cries that were called ululations. Paul was most likely telling the women to be silent and stop disrupting church services with their pagan noises. When you understand that, it's like, oh yeah, you know, if you had a church that you were over and women were high-pitched crying and chanting and whatever in your church, don't you think you might send a letter out to that church and be like, dude, you guys need to shut up, right? Be quiet. That's what was happening. This was absolutely not supposed to be a blanket statement for all women forever and ever and ever to be silent in the church. It was for these specific women in Corinth who are disrupting church services. This statement is taken wildly out of context by men who just love the idea of subjugating women. And Christian men love this. They absolutely love, they, they honestly are like power trippers. It's really, really, really sad. But we're going to look at some other people that Paul told to be silent in the churches that were not women. Okay? So we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 28. Paul tells those who speak in tongues or interpreters, depending on what version of the Bible you're looking at, to keep silent in the church and only speak to himself or God. Oh, oh, there's a, him, him, that's a man. What? Paul tells those who speak in tongues or the interpreters to keep silent in the church and only speak to themselves, himself or God. For some interesting reason, we do not interpret this verse as meaning an interpreter should never speak in church ever at all for all time ever. We don't look at this as an oppressive verse against these men that are interpreters and say, hey, you got to shut up in church all the time. You're never allowed to speak in church ever. But when we're talking about women a few verses down, like, oh, we make that mean something completely different. Yeah, you shut up. You don't ever speak in church. Really? When we look at the whole context of the entire chapter, instead of just picking out verses and trying to beat someone over the head with it, we start to see that Paul's telling other people to be silent in the church too. He's also telling them to only speak to himself or God. So that's going to kind of come up a little bit later too, of like speaking to your husband or, you know, different things. Okay. We understand here that Paul's asking them, to take turns and be respectful during church services. But when Paul talks to women, all of a sudden we decide that it's a blanket statement for all women in all times to be quiet. It's just not true. If you take it in the whole context of the chapter, there are many keep silence to many different people that Paul talks to. And it's not just women. So, you know, we really need to stop doing this with the Bible and trying to weaponize it against people. So let's move on. Another verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, now we're in verse 30. So we were in verse 28, verse 30, and I believe it's verse 31, or sorry, 34. So there's three different verses, three different keep silence that Paul does. And in this verse, 30, 
But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. Here's another keep silent from Paul. In this one, we see that he is instructing church members to take turns speaking in church. So if we take all of this in context, the actual intention of Paul here becomes crystal freaking clear. Everyone, men and women, are to be reverent in church. Do not make noise. Do not speak out of turn. Do not be chanting and wailing. All of that. This has nothing to do with telling women to never speak in church. There are three keep silence. Paul is trying to give order and reverence to the church. That is it. That is all he's trying to do. And this is a letter that was written to a specific people. And we do have to keep that in mind when we read these letters. Does it mean the letters are included in the Bible because we need to learn from them? But it doesn't mean that that letter applies in every circumstance, everything in every circumstance. It just doesn't. Women in the churches today are not chanting and moaning and wailing and doing all of this. Okay, so if we take this out of context, all of a sudden we're starting to weaponize the Bible against people, and that is not what Paul was doing. So we're going to go on. Number two, women are to subject themselves. Men love this. I I know their egos are just going wild here. But (laughs) men love to decide that this means women should subject themselves to men, even though that's not what it says. It does not say who women are to subject themselves to. It does not say. It says women are to subject themselves. Not to men, not to husbands, not to pastors, not to anybody. Up until this point in the chapter, Paul has been talking about ministry, not marriage. Okay? A lot of people try to pull this into marriage. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's been talking about the interpreters in the church. He's been talking about many different people in the church and during ministry and during church service. This statement is still in context with ministry and church services because marriage has not been brought up yet. And it does not state that a woman is to be subjected to a husband or anything or anyone. So we have no right to assume what she's supposed to be subject to because it doesn't say, okay? It does not say that. But if we take it in context of Paul's teaching for men and women in ministry, women would be asked to either submit to God, church, or themselves. Because remember, we talked about the interpreters were to earlier were to subject themselves right i don't know if we've got to that yet anyway so in first corinthians fourteen thirty-two, here we go the spirits of the prophets were told to be in submission to the prophets okay that was 32 and now we've moved on to 34 and 35 it's all in context with itself right The spirits of the prophets are told to be in submission to the prophets. What does that mean? It means to be in control of yourself. So we're telling the prophets to be in control to themselves and the women are to subject themselves, not to anybody else. These statements tend to give credence to the idea that this is about self-control. This is not about women being second-class citizens that have to submit to anybody else because it doesn't say that. It just says subject themselves. It is about self-control. 
Women were to subject themselves in an act of self-control, not to be subject to anybody else, because it doesn't say that. If Paul doesn't say who you're supposed to be subject to, you have no right to say it is men. Okay? So now when we look at this scripture, he's telling women to be silent in the church because they've been chanting and wailing and crying out in church. And he's like, you guys need to be quiet. Women are to subject themselves, which means be under self-control. Same as he was telling the prophets to subject themselves as well. Okay? It, it all falls in line if we take it all in context. But if we want to pick out little parts and make them mean something that we think it should mean, then all of a sudden we're weaponizing the Bible against people in a way that it was never meant to be. So then we're going to look at number three. Women should ask their husbands. I know the men love this. Oh, yeah, we're in charge. We are the spiritual authorities. Men love their power trips. Men struggle with pride and the desire to dominate and control women. And in their ravenously power-hungry eyes, they interpret everything in the Bible to mean that their wife has to submit to them, that they have all the power, only they can teach in the church. They, they get quite the power trip off of this. Men also love to think that they have all power to teach in the church and that women should not have any opportunity. They take everything out of its original context to support their own ego and their own power trip. Paul was actually doing something revolutionary with telling women to go home and ask their husbands if they have a question. Really? In first century Roman and Greek dominated culture, women were not allowed to be educated or to learn to read. And yet here, Paul is actually telling the women to learn. If women want to learn something, they're told to ask their husbands at home. This accomplishes two things. It allows for reverence in the church while teaching is happening. So instead of having women asking a bunch of questions during church and disrupting prayers or church services or whatever's going on, if they go home to learn, it allows church service to proceed properly and reverently, okay? Number two, it emphasizes the importance of women learning the gospel. Because as I said, in Roman and Greek-dominated culture in first century Christianity, women were not allowed to be educated or to learn to read. And yet, Paul is emphasizing the importance of women learning the gospel. Men have made this mean that women are not allowed to participate in church or ask questions in church. That's not what he's saying. We really need to stop seeing the world through the lens of patriarchy and misogyny and thinking that everything is about women being less than and second-class citizens. Paul was encouraging women in their desire to learn and understand the gospel. He wanted them to learn so they could become full participants in the church. Women had no educational opportunities in Greek or Roman culture, and the Jews also excluded women from any form of study or formal religious training. Paul was going against the culture of the time and teaching that in Christianity, women should have the opportunity to learn. And so he was recommending that they turn to their husbands to teach them. Because men were allowed to learn and have this education. And so obviously at this time, husbands would have had knowledge or learning that the women would not have had. This doesn't mean that was right or the way it should be. But in the first century culture, this was the way that things were. And so he was asking the women, learn from your husband when you get home so that we're not disrupting church service. 
Paul was affirming women's right to learn. That was revolutionary at the time. This is not oppressive. This is not about husbands being above wives or anything like that. It was just creating, actually elevating women within the culture that they lived in. So he wanted women to ask questions and focus on religious learning, but in an appropriate setting. And that's, it's just not during a worship service while someone's praying, ministering, or prophesying. That's not the time to be raising your hand and asking questions. You know, just the same as if in our church services today. It's probably not the time for new members of the church, whether a man or a woman, if they are new to Christianity and they're, or new to a church, it's not the time during worship service while the pastor is teaching to be raising your hand and disrupting service all day, right? So this is not a scripture about male authority, like power-hungry men like to think it is. He's actually elevating the status of women within the culture that they were in, okay? So we just broke down this one scripture. We're going to go through a lot more of them. So if you enjoy learning the reality of this scripture and how Paul was not denigrating women or demoting them or, um, you know, like men like to say that he was, if you want to learn more about that, we are definitely going to be talking about a lot of those really hard scriptures. We're going to put it in its first century context. Uh, we're going to talk about the original Greek words like we've been doing here, diakonos. We're going to be talking about a lot of that to help clarify scripture to you. Because what's happening is a lot of people, it's not that the scripture was written wrong. It's just that we love to interpret whatever was said for our own ends. And men love to do that. And they have weaponized the Bible against women. And, you know, now we look at how people back in the 1800s and before used the Bible to justify slavery, to justify the subjugation of other races of people. They used the Bible to do that. It was considered biblical at the time. We don't do that anymore. We recognize that that was wrong. That is not biblical. That is not what God wants. But yet we're still weaponizing the Bible against women. And we're taking things out of context. We have translators who are taking quite a bit of liberty, as I showed you. Diakonos, they're using it as a deacon for man, and they're using some other stretch, you know, of interpretation for women to denigrate women, to demote them. But that's not what the original word said or did. And so we do have issues. When people say, I take the Bible literally, great. But you're not taking it literally in context and you're not taking it literally as it was originally written. I'm sorry, but you're just not. Um, so uh, I love how people will think they're, they're doing God's work while they're using the Bible to beat other people over the head and tell them that they're second-class citizens. That, that, that is not, I'm sorry, that's not of God. I'm sorry, it's just not. So what does all this have to do with Phoebe? As I present Phoebe, the deacon, I wanted to give a little biblical perspective that Phoebe was not some anomaly that goes against God's design to subjugate and treat women as nobodies in the church. Phoebe was actually the norm among many other women leaders of the early Christian church that our male clergy so conveniently failed to mention or teach us about, or they tell us they were anomalies or it was an exception or whatever. 
I think it's also worth mentioning that Unia was also a deacon in the early church, mentioned by Paul in Romans chapter 16. Women in church leadership and ministry positions was not at all an anomaly that men claim it is. In fact, in Romans 16 alone, Paul speaks of 28 men and women in the ministry, 10 of whom were women. Almost half of the, the leaders were women. Now, we're only focusing on Phoebe today, but I wanted you to realize that there's actually a vast number of women serving in leadership positions in the early church. So we're going to go back to Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Sancreate, so that you may welcome her in the Lord as is fitting for the saints and help her in whatever she may require from you, for she has been a benefactor of many and of myself as well. So here we have the same man who supposedly wrote a condescending prohibition on women teaching in the church, um, calling a woman a deacon and asking the saints to listen to her and do whatever she asks them to do. When he says, help her in whatever she may require from you. What she requires of you, I'm telling you to do. Clearly, this woman was a leader in the church. He did not say only the women had to do what she told them to do. But the men didn't have to. He told all of them to do what she said. Oh, oh, what? A woman actually telling women what to do? Oh, no. Yeah, that's true. All of you that say women are not allowed to teach men, and all of a sudden, here we go. We have one. So if women are not to teach or have authority over men, as many people claim, how is it that Phoebe is doing both? I think it means in our lovely male-dominated churches, we have misunderstood and taken things out of context. That's what I think it means. It's important to understand the truth about what Paul taught. And in order to understand the truth, you must understand it within its cultural context at the time. You must understand the way Paul wrote it in its original Greek and not rely only on English translations. And do not pull in other scripture to try to justify personal power and pride to subjugate women when that is clearly not what was originally intended. It amazes me that we recognize that weaponizing the Bible against others in the form of using it to condone slavery is now widely accepted as inappropriate and wrong. However, we still widely weaponize the Bible against women to subjugate them. And in fact, many denominations treat women as slaves. You are to bear children, do all household duties, serve the head of the household, and must be subject to his rule and his authority, essentially placing women on the same level as a slave. The fact that we still promote the use of the Bible in this way is nothing short of a disgusting twist of reality. So let's break down what Paul teaches us about Phoebe in Romans chapter 16. So Paul first commended Phoebe to the Christians in Rome. Phoebe is the one who carried Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. And he wanted them to know that Paul respected her and trusted her and therefore they should as well. The original Greek verb for commend conveys a meaning of someone in a trusted relationship. Another reason Paul was commending her and conveying that they should trust her is that she was delivering Paul's message to them. She did not merely, merely carry it. She read it to them. 
Paul is highly recommending her so that the Roman Christians would trust her to read his letter exactly as Paul intended it to be read. This is the important part. A man who believed a woman should not speak in church would never have sent a woman on this errand. Paul introduces Phoebe as a deacon of the church in Sancreate. Phoebe was then introduced as a deacon, as stated before the word diakonos is used for both men and women in the original Greek. But in English, they separate the two into deacon for men and servant for women, which is quite literally a mistranslation. You can't pick and choose what it means. Oh, if it's a man, it's got to be a deacon. But if it's a woman, ah, she can't be a leader. That's literally what they did. It's not what Paul said. It was a translator that decided to do that. And I will tell you, I would believe the original meaning that Paul gave and not the translators. Paul never made any distinction between men and women deacons, and neither should we. She wasn't a servant. Paul not only calls her a deacon, he also tells them what church she serves in as a deacon, the church in Sancreate. Many Christian churches today have deacons that serve in various capacities depending on the denomination. What is important here, though, is the meaning of this word in the first century Christian church. During Paul's time as an apostle of the church, diaknos, or a deacon, was a word used to denote someone who had been set apart as a leader in the ministry. And that's what she was. And Paul does not make any distinction or exception or anything other than just to call her a diaknos, which is the same thing he called the men. Then Paul instructs them to welcome her. Paul instructs them to help in any way that she asks them to. This is a key element that Phoebe was much more than a servant. Paul is telling the saints to do what she asks them to do, letting us know that she was in fact a leader of the church. Otherwise, why do they need to do what she tells them to? She is being a leader and they are to listen to her as a leader. So Reverend B.T. Roberts wrote, quote, There's not a single passage in which the word deacon is used to designate an officer of the church where there's any indication that this deacon was not a preacher, end quote. And this is the same for both men and women. In fact, in the book of, book of Acts, Paul refers to himself as a diaconos in five of his letters. He uses the exact same word to refer to himself as he used to refer to Phoebe. Think about that. Same word. He made no modifications, no justification, no anything. Just the same word. Christian leaders try to make a distinction that the word diakonos means deacon or minister if it's referring to men. But it means servant referring to women. But this is absolutely false. This is the same word. That's the same meaning, no matter which gender, gender it is referring to. Paul never made any distinction whatsoever between the men that he called diakonos and the women. And any preacher, translator, minister, or anyone else who tries to denigrate women to a lesser role is not teaching biblical truth, because it's not what Paul said. Reverend B.T. Roberts also said, quote, The churches of that day had no servants, in the ordinary sense of the word servant. The churches were poor. Their meetings were held in private houses. They had no church edifices, end quote. There was no such thing as a servant in the church in first century Christianity. That was not a thing. These were small meetings just in people's houses. 
the deacon or preacher taught or administered in their roles, but they, they, there was no need for a servant. There, it was not a thing. So when we understand the context of what was really going on at that time, the history of what was going on in the church, then it further validates that it was not servants. That was a translator's choice based on their own male chauvinism. When Paul introduces Phoebe to the Roman Christians in his letter, he was telling them that she held an official titled position in her church, and she had the authority to preach and teach them. They were admonished to listen to her and do what she asked of them. She was Paul's official representative to the Roman Christians, and she was authorized to read his letter, interpret any point of theology in that letter to them. Clearly, Paul did not see women as, quote, easily deceived or not fit to be trusted leaders in the church. Paul tells them to welcome Phoebe, as is fitting for the saints. This Greek verb used here means to receive and to accept fully. Paul was commanding the Roman Christians to fully accept her as a church leader and accept her ministry. The prevailing culture at the time considered women to be inferior, but Paul was perfectly clear here that Christians were different than the world and women were to be respected and held the same position in the church as men. Phoebe and other women church leaders were not an exception to the rule. Phoebe was a respected leader in her local church and she was so highly respected as a leader that Paul entrusted her to deliver an important letter to the Roman Christians. Paul had not visited Rome himself yet, but he trusted her to read his letter and explain the theological issues to both the men and the women in the Roman church. She may, according to some biblical scholars, have also collected money to help fund the mission efforts of the early church. She was a teacher, preacher, and a highly respected church leader in her own right. She was not an anomaly or an exception. Women are leaders in their own right. It is only male pride and evil desires to dominate and control that cause them to place themselves above women and believe that they are so superior to women that women should have no right to teach them. Many Christians believe that God only ordains male authority, and that is God's order. If that is true, God does not make exceptions to his order. Jesus was all about breaking cultural taboos. But breaking God's moral order is a sin. If Paul had engaged in making exceptions to God's natural order, he would have been sinning against God. If that is God's natural order, to break God's natural order is sin. The problem is that Christian men twist the meanings of scripture, take it out of its first century context, and try to weaponize the Bible against women. Paul could not have written what Christian men claim he did in 1 Timothy, 1 Corinthians, and Ephesians, while also having Unia and Phoebe among so many other women as deacons and leaders in the church. It, it doesn't fit. So basically, instead of saying, oh, well, they were exceptions to the rule, how about we just realize that we have taken the Bible out of context and weaponized it against women inappropriately? And we're going to go over a lot of these scriptures and put them in context and explain what Paul was actually saying. And when we do, it all makes sense. All of a sudden, the women aren't exceptions. It's just the norm. Instead of saying Paul got it wrong a few times, 
or Paul made a few exceptions. Maybe let's just admit that we're the ones that got it wrong. Maybe we're the ones that twisted the interpretation of scripture in order to weaponize it against women. I would have to submit to you that that's what has happened. That, that scripture has been weaponized against women. And when we go over it and we look at its original language and we look at the original context, we will see that that is not at all what was meant. In fact, the story in Genesis is absolutely beautiful. And I'm just going to give you a little uh, teaser when we go over Genesis. And also, if you want to learn more about Genesis, you can listen to the first podcast on Eve. But when God says that she will be saved through childbearing, let me put that in context with you. It does not mean that women are evil and bad and the only way that they can be saved is by having a baby. That's not what it, that's not what it meant. Do you know what it meant? What, how would Eve be saved from the fall? What was going to save her? Do, do, do we... Basically, you're saying, oh, we don't need a savior. We just need to have babies and we're saved. Yep, that's probably not what he was saying. Maybe God was saying, you will be saved through childbearing because eventually the savior of the world would be born of a woman. Do you see how sometimes we can take scripture out of context? Eve would be saved through childbearing. Because eventually the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, would be born through her posterity. And he would not only save her, but would save all of us. And that is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. That Eve was given the promise that she would be saved through childbearing, through her posterity, through the Savior of the world being born. When we put scripture into its actual context and what the actual meaning was, it becomes beautiful. It becomes elevating to women. It, it never denigrates women. It never puts men, women below men. When we look at the original Hebrew words of the Old Testament, we see the poetic beauty of the words instead of the subjugation of women which it doesn't ever say and when we come into the new testament and we put it back in its original languages greek sometimes aramaic we put it back into its original language and we take it in context of the way their culture and the way they would have understood things instead of from our you know, thousands of years later culture, when we put it back in its poetic languages and in its original culture, all of a sudden it becomes beautiful and it becomes about the mutuality of men and women, the connection of the two, the equality of them, that we need both. Women are given spiritual gifts just as men are and they are to be used to the world at large. From all of us, men can benefit from women just as women can benefit from men. It is not a one-way street. And Christianity is not about a one-way street. It is not about male domination and male control. And we need to stop making it that. And that is what 
the purpose here is, is to put women back in their rightful place. And I, I, it absolutely blows my mind that in our culture today that we have not done that for women. We continue to subjugate women and to oppress them and to tell them that they must be under male authority. They must ask permission from men all the time. They don't. They don't need that. Women are beautiful, amazing, intelligent creations of God. And I would be willing to tell you that by denigrating women in the way that you do and subjugating them, that you are actually putting down a creation of God instead of elevating her to the proper place that she deserves. She is a daughter of God in the kingdom of God, righteous, amazing, intelligent, beautiful, with spiritual gifts that all can benefit from. And we need to stop the subjugation of women. It was never intended by God. It is not biblical. If we understand the real Bible in its context, it is not biblical and we need to stop doing it. And I hope that this has given you a little bit of context and understanding of the scriptures. And trust me, we are going to break down all the scriptures that all the women don't like. And I promise you, that by the time that we are done over years of time, as I break these down for you, that you are going to find beauty in the scriptures. You are going to find absolute beauty in the story of Genesis. If you struggle with that, if you struggle with Eve being um, seen as evil and bad and easily deceived, go listen to the first episode on Eve. You will absolutely love it. But we are going to break it all down all of these scriptures, all of these hard things. And by the time we're done, you're going to realize that God loves women as much as he does men. That women are equal in every way, that they have spiritual gifts and things to offer to everyone. And men need to sit their butts down and put their egos away and listen to women because women have amazing things to contribute. And women should be a part of every level of leadership in a church they absolutely should and when we do subjugate women we end up having problems we always do i'm not going to go into that today but we are definitely going to talk about what happens in patriarchal cultures with um, sexual abuse rape all kinds of things i hope you enjoyed this podcast i really enjoyed doing it if you did please go ahead and donate to our fund to continue this work and I will see you next time.